What's up, everybody? I'm Jess, and welcome to Jess Wants to Know. It is still spring. Yes. <laughs> this is the third episode I'm talking about it being spring. Can you guys tell I'm excited that it's spring? It was a cold-ass winter. Um, what I'm even more excited about is having my good friend, Julian Yo. Mitchell, here with me today. Jess, what up? Hey! Hey! Cheers. We're toasting. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. And as anybody who listens to this podcast regularly, you know that we are toasting to rose. Now, I will admit that I have been drinking some rose before I like started today. So rose fits this podcast perfectly. (laughs) It does, right? I love it. I love it. So, Julian, first of all, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. You know, you are. I'm so excited because you're Mm -hmm. like amazing. And like when we first met, we just instantly clicked and connected. And I was just so like intrigued by your intellect and your career and your life. And I'm like, yo, his soul is just so dope. And like, why haven't we known each other longer? But we're making up for lost time. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Gotta, gotta appreciate the process. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, before we get into today's discussion, can you just tell the people a little bit about yourself? Because if mm-hmm. I do it, I'm going to brag a lot, and you're going to be embarrassed. Yeah, so I'm going to let you do it. Uh, I'm gonna let you do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give the, the short version of the long story. I mean, I was born in Seattle, Washington, uh, raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, went to college at Occidental College in L.A. That's what moved me to L.A. Um, when I was in college, that was one of those experiences where um, – I kind of just threw myself into so many different things because when I came up in in high school, you know, I went to a public school that was pretty much all black, you know, black and Hispanic. And our whole experience growing up, people people who don't know about Vegas culture, the black culture in Vegas is very. And I'm saying this because we're talking about hip hop and all that, right? So like the the black culture in Vegas is like very tight knit and very big and very connected. So my high school was a lot like what a HBCU was like, you know, like step teams and drum lines and all the youth groups, the Kappa leagues mm-hmm. and, and all the music and all that kind of stuff. And I say that to say, you know, we were heavy in the music and heavy yeah. in the fashion and dance and all of that. So when I went to Occidental, it was a small private liberal arts college, you know, predominantly, uh, you would call it a PWI, but mm. it was considered one of the more diverse schools, but there's only 1600 students. Mm. And so when I went to the college, as a freshman, I noticed very early on, I went to a concert in like the little student union and realized, and I'm going to fast forward after this, but realized that they had like a rock band they booked to do a show and nobody was in the audience and they paid this band money. And that was like a light bulb for me. I was like, yo, this shit is whack. Nobody's <laughs> here. And I don't see anything on this campus that reflects what I actually care about, like exactly. the culture that I represent. Mm-hmm. So I literally went on a mission from that day to, like, bring the culture to life. So then fast forward, became the event director of the college. I was throwing all the concerts, mm-hmm. like, doing all of that, running the radio station, like, programming some of the first, like, like the hip-hop shows on the radio station, right. doing all of that, interned at the record label, interned for Debbie Allen, was doing the dancing, doing Queen the hip-hop Debbie. intensives and stuff like that. <laughs> but the whole point is, like, I kind of just threw myself in all the stuff that I liked. I was writing for the paper. I was doing all of that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what it meant. And then uh, when I got out of college, I moved to New York. And I was like, the one thing I want to do is edit uh, and be in media. And I took an internship to basically run an online blog mm-hmm. and just really poured everything into that, proved that I can do it. And then fast forward, um, I started out in advertising. Mm-hmm. I moved out of college. I moved back to L.A. Uh, started in advertising at an agency called Quantasy and 
was running like campaigns and content and teaching brands at the time. It was brand new, like teaching them about culture and teaching them about content and about the influence of hip hop culture, you know, like Mm -hmm. this was before Tanning of America and, and that stuff was happening. We were teaching brands about creating platforms and stuff like that. So I was doing that, like all the brands, Wells Fargo, Honda, Google, uh, Magic Johnson, like doing a lot of his platforms and things like that. So we built an award-winning agency up. And then from there, um, that's when I joined Puff when he first got Revolt. Yeah. Uh, 2012, going to 2013, got an email. I was like, yo, did you see he just got this deal? Yes, I did. Uh, he's looking for a young dude. He's looking for you. He wants to like talk to you about this. Okay, cool. And then it was history. I got the job. Um, went to build and launch Revolt from the ground up in the very beginning, like no phones, no trash cans, no offices. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we did that. We did that, uh, and was social media director, editorial director, um, running like the news and yeah. and all of that. And then that just springboarded into Forbes, like writing about the business, and then have spent four years with Forbes, and then Huff Post. I was a Huff Post columnist, and then um, that also sprung into. Media Bistro, like teaching teaching content marketing wow. and social media and brand marketing and everything just kind of evolved to now. Uh, I had spent the past four years with Forbes mm-hmm. and then um, having covering entrepreneur startups, the business of music, media, entertainment, mm-hmm. um, and then Beats by Dre. Mm-hmm. I'm the only Beats writer, too, um, mm-hmm. who's not an athlete or an artist, the only person who's like wow. involved in that. We have a series called Corner Office. Uh, and we've been doing that for about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so from there to just championing the, the creative class, championing the culture, like being somebody who can translate the relationship between culture and commerce, you know, mm-hmm. um, giving a lot of hip hop artists like their big breakout stories mm-hmm. and the interviews and profiles and help them build their businesses and mm-hmm. launch platforms and things like that. So I've been kind of like the, I would say like the Bruce Wayne, Batman, (laughs) (laughs) kind of like behind the scenes of a lot of things that have happened culturally that have been impactful. And a lot of the movements and ways of thinking, I've definitely been an architect behind a lot of that. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of the position that I've that I found myself in. I'm kind of like a guy people tap to tap into that. First of all. I don't think y'all understand how dope Julian Mitchell is. I mean, again, <laughs> I still remember when I met you mm-hmm. and we were at American Cut and I was like working uh, and he was my media meeting. I had to do mm-hmm. media meetings to talk about everything Verizon up loyalty program. Yes. And uh, <laughs> of course. And then I was just like, wait a minute, pause. Fuck the work shit. Who are you? So interesting. (laughs) The thing I love about you, Julian, is that you are so humble. Like, you don't walk around bragging about who you are, what you do. I always randomly run into you just kind of moving through crowds. And I'm like, Julian, hey, whatever. And I love that about you. Um, I'm going to say this because I know you won't. Julian has a TED Talk coming up. Yes. The TED Talk. So, yes, he is definitely, you are definitely somebody who inspires me and I'm very proud of and I'm so happy that we're friends. And and mm-hmm. the reason that I wanted you to come here today is because we're at a, a really interesting space and time in our culture. Yeah. Here's one thing I want to say to that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, humility is like a superpower. Mm-hmm. And people don't really realize that because when you say when you say humility, most people see that as you have to reduce 
a part of who you are right. you, or you're trying to hide behind something or you're trying not to brag or not mm-hmm. to do this. Humility is simply just knowing who you are right. and knowing how powerful or influential mm-hmm. you are and knowing what you're capable of. But that doesn't change your character. Like it doesn't change the core of who you are. It doesn't right. change any of that. Like w- when you look at Nipsey passings, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was somebody who as confident and sure and as tapped into his greatness and everything that he was Mm -hmm. part of why he touched the community the way that he did and and stood for everything he did is because he had a humble soul like he had a heart that was just like Mm -hmm. if i know all these things to be true Mm -hmm. then i walk in the truth of that right i'm not i don't got to prove it to nobody Mm -hmm. i don't got to make it known to nobody like Mm -hmm. it is it's absolute truth like and i think i say that to say i think culturally if we really want to tap into the power we have, mm-hmm. there has to be more humility involved. Yeah, like there just has to be. And you're absolutely right. And mm-hmm. I think the it's hard, I would say, in the social climate that we're mm-hmm. in with social media for people to maintain that. Because the more likes, the more followers you get, you start to feel yourself. You know, I'm pushing 1,400 right. followers. So I'm feeling Uh-oh. myself. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah yeah like i met somebody they were like oh my god i see your podcast branding come up on my feet i'm like oh yeah okay psych i'm I'm kidding i'm humble always i got my little (laughs) i got my little 154 now listeners hey shout out to y'all yes listen uh, but humility will always be my father told me this he said I don't care how big you get in life. You will always be my daughter and you will never forget where you come from. Yes. So whenever I'm in Suitland, Maryland, which I was just in this past weekend from my cousin's wedding, congratulations to Jay and Sharon. I'm always reminded of like, yeah, you live across the street from that high school. You remember who you were in that high school. So I can yeah. always appreciate a spirit that operates in humility and that yes. rests in humility. Despite where you are in your life, you never forget where you come from. And that's never. why we connected because I think we are both on that you know, in alignment with that. But you mm-hmm. brought up a person's name and this is the this is the person who really is inspiring this episode, Nipsey Hustle. Yeah. Um, it's been some time since he's passed. Um, but I don't think while he was living, I really appreciated the influence that yeah. he had. Just me as a consumer. Um and somebody who's not too deep into any particular thing. I'm like your regular average consumer. Right. I don't think I appreciated the influence that he has mm-hmm. on our community. And it made me start to think about hip-hop in general. Not just Nipsey, but just hip-hop culture. And I think about all of the messages that we've gotten over the decades, right? Because hip-hop has been around, what, since what, the 80s, 70s? Correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert. 80s 80s. is what it's known for, but like 70s, late 70s, early 80s, yeah. And um, there's these hidden messages. Like, NWA was very freaking clear, right? (laughs) What they were about, Mm -hmm. right? But then I started to think about um, all the things that I'm seeing on social media about Nipsey and him empowering people to kind of, you know, build their communities up, own businesses, own a block, build up, invest in your community, all the little stuff. And then it took me back to 444. Uh, Jay-Z's album, right? I'm just yeah. kind of going back like no, short term in time. And I'm like, wow, Jay-Z was just, I mean, Jay-Z was preaching himself in 444. And then I'm sure there were several, like I looked think about Nas and him owning Sweet Chick and all these other companies and uh, uh, Mass mass Appeal. Mass appeal. And, yeah. uh, and I'm just like, wow, wait a minute. Just what? Queensbridge Ventures, like yeah. what, he, what he's done in his portfolio is insane. Yeah. yeah. So I started like Nipsey's 
unfortunate passing awakened something in me that said there is something that's been happening in the past couple yes. of decades through hip hop that is igniting entrepreneurship for minorities in a way that I never really paid attention to until this moment. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of talk us through, because I'm not as well versed on hip hop as you are, but I want to know from you, like what was your, like when you think about how you grew up in hip hop and Mm -hmm. everything that you write about, like where was the beginning of this? Like, was it during the run DMC movement that this was something that was talked about or was it very far post that? I mean, I would say, cause that's a, there's a lot to that. If I were to just try to sum it up, I think when you saw the moment, right, like the iconic moment of mm-hmm. Run DMC and Adidas, like that yeah. was that was yeah. the moment of people saying, oh, there's a lifestyle to be sold through mm-hmm. hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a image, there's an experience, a culture, an ethos, an energy mm-hmm. that is broad enough and appealing enough and cross-cultural enough to be sold. Mm-hmm. And at a point like that for a brand like Adidas, right, and you look at the current climate today, that essentially is like a seed that was planted around the relationship between culture and commerce and Mm -hmm. how the culture itself could be commoditized, right, and leveraged to build businesses and create campaigns and just be a driving force of industries outside of music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the thing about that is for artists, the evolution is, and when we talk about Nipsey, right, or right. Jay-Z, mm-hmm. how many artists have you seen since the 80s where the artists were business owners? Well, Ice Cube, Dr. Right. Dre. Um Jay-Z, and now keep, and I'm saying keep this in yeah. the context of all the rappers you've seen. Yeah, it's not that many since rap like quote unquote started. It's not that many. You're right. There's not that many and 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 like okay, I'm going to it's not that many. And one of the things that I'm actually and I want to get here later in the in the conversations about right. like our current uh rapper landscape and i'm looking Mm -hmm. at kodak black kind of disrespect lauren london saying she about to be a widow just the lack of respect for like the seeds that have been planted by like the hip-hop greats but you're right there are not a lot of rappers that have become like real owners and i'm gonna take it back so Mm -hmm. here we go so you you have this moment Mm -hmm. where light bulb ding oh this is bigger than street corner ciphers and break dancing in the park and people showing up to clubs because mm-hmm. this new hip hop thing is so popular. Right. No, this is something that could be a global movement that yes. could drive commerce and create lifestyle and boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thing. When that happens, what does the industry of rap become? The industry of rap becomes the pipeline for impoverished, underprivileged, marginalized communities Mm -hmm. to finally have a way out right so hip-hop from the beginning became the symbol of two things Mm -hmm. struggle Mm -hmm. and aspiration yes right so you take kids who are telling their stories of where they came from in these neighborhoods Mm -hmm. of being immersed in violence and poverty Mm -hmm. and marginalization and disadvantage and all these issues that circulate these neighborhoods, right. 
they're telling these stories to audiences. It's almost like an echo, right? To all the audiences who feel that way across the world. Right. Right? You relate to that. Yo, when Nas rapped, you related to that. So if you was if you came from a block or a street, whatever. So you have spokespeople for these communities who become the voices of them, right? Mm -hmm. Who get that attention. You built an industry around that to where these people ultimately get paid, right? Mm-hmm. You change their lives. It's like, I always call this like the Jackie Robinson um, formula where Jackie Robinson was not the first black player in baseball because they wanted black people in baseball. Mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson was the first black player in baseball because they needed to sell tickets. Yeah. And the game wasn't exciting. And white people were sick of watching white people play. <laughs> and the Negro League was lit. Yeah. So it was like, yo, they showed that they don't need us and our game ain't as exciting without them mm-hmm. and X, Y, and Z. So let's do this experiment. If you watch the movie 42, you can see it. Yeah. Let's do this experiment mm-hmm. where we take this exciting, talented young kid mm-hmm. and we put him in the game and we see how much he drives the business. Mm-hmm. And when it worked, that became, oh, wow, right? Mm-hmm. There's more money in the white folks league. There's more opportunity and exposure in this league. You can make more money in this league. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make that the blueprint for all the other young Jackie Robinsons who come from nothing mm-hmm. to feel like we can change their lives at a fraction, one one hundredth of what we're going to make off of you. Right. When you get here. So now all the young kids and now like the big topic of Zion Williamson, right? Like at Duke, all these young kids who come from these neighborhoods, they're looking at it like this is my way to make a million dollars. Now, a million dollars in the context of what you're going to generate a company or generate an industry Mm -hmm. is literally like. 10 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. I say all that to say the business model for artists in hip hop when it became an industry Mm. was all about artists trying to find ways to make as much money as possible Mm -hmm. while they could off of what they had. Right. So it was never about ownership. It was never about you owning the business, you right. owning the distribution, you own this, owning your publishing. Mm-hmm. It was always like, get as much paper as you can while you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Be as popping as you can yeah. while you can. Mm-hmm. And the more popping you are, mm-hmm. the more money you can get. Right. So the mentality was always like that. Like, right. sign the biggest advance you can sign to get yeah. the most money you can. Mm-hmm. It was never people coming in the game saying... If I know I'm this dope, mm-hmm. I should come in as the company right. or I should come in owning my publishing. I should come mm-hmm. in. So the model was always that. So mm-hmm. it was it was always like get as rich as you can right. while you can. That was always kind of the mentality. And while that's happening yeah. and more people are coming in, mm-hmm. the industry of it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you see all these labels and companies start to take ownership of it and leverage it and Mm -hmm. capitalize it. And then you got all these people who are caught in these loans and bad deals and stuff like that. But when did it flip? When did it flip on its head? Because um, 
that was a model for a very, very long time. And, and yeah. that was a model even before hip hop. That was the model with black music in general. In general, yeah. In general. There are so many stories of black artists who own no rights to their music. And they were so great and wonderful and they're iconic and they have nothing now. They have no ownership mm-hmm. of the things that make their music iconic that we still listen to, that, that are part of our culture, that are a part of our holidays and our birthdays and our celebrations and our life and our lives, our lives. And they own mm-hmm. no piece of that. Um, and we talk about the hip hop industry starting off the same way. This is a pattern that we've seen with within the black music industry from the beginning of black music getting on radio and, mm-hmm. and black people getting signed to deals and even in television, everything acting, everything. But when did, when did the mentality start to shift? I mean, I know, Jay Z was very instrumental in that. Um, well, you can even take it back, right? Mm-hmm. You look at what Barry Gordy did with Motown. Yeah, that's true. And you see the way he built that up, and mm-hmm. and what, he, and if you look at Barry Gordy now and the mm-hmm. catalogs he owns and the, and mm-hmm. the legacy that he stands for, you know, you look at Quincy Jones. You've seen his documentary and things like that. Even though Quincy Jones was somebody who you know, amassed a fortune and all of that and work with all the greats in, in music. So did the artists profit from that? Because Barry Gordy is the executive, right? Right. Quincy Jones is the pro- producer. Am I got that right? Yeah, he was like the producer, producer the musician. The yeah. musician. The writer, but, yeah. But the, the, the voice. I'm talking about the voices of black music. No, no, no. I'm yeah. saying, so you mm-hmm. you see them yeah. and what they what they did. Yeah. And then after them, you see Master P. Yes. Right? Master P. And that's, why, that's what makes him such a legend in the game. Like, yeah. that's why everybody will mention Master P. Because he true. was one of the first mm-hmm. that people saw who built a whole movement and a whole area mm-hmm. in the South, in New Orleans, and owned it and said, I know how to sell it myself. Yeah. I know how to distribute it myself. Yeah. I know how to market it myself. Mm-hmm. And I have all the artists. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, I'm going to be the enterprise and be the business. Love it. And the only access at those times was through the labels and yeah. or the big music companies. So the revolutionary part then was you convinced Universal to invest X hundred of millions of dollars into you to do this. Wow. Like that was revolutionary back then. Okay. Birdman was able to yeah, do it after he did that. With cash you saw Jay Prince. That's what makes Jay Prince such a legend, right? With like Rap A Lot, okay. what he did with Rap A Lot in yeah. Houston, and he's still been independent to this day. Wow. And he's had Scarface and all these people, Ghetto Boys, everybody who's came under Jay Prince. Yeah. That's why these people are so iconic and legendary. And these were all street hustlers yeah. who came from the culture in its mm-hmm. truest sense. Mm-hmm. And bossed up and had the mentality to turn that hustle into something legitimate and build businesses off of the culture and music. So you had them do it. And the breakthrough again for them was getting the establishment to acknowledge and respect them enough to give them the access, the capital and the resources to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Because that's as far as you could have went back then. Because the... We weren't talking about Silicon Valley and you could go get this VC and you could raise this money and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like if you had this dream, the only way you could get the money to do it yourself was that way. That's the only way you're getting 400 million is if Universal gives it to you. Yeah. So then that inspires 
Jay-Z and Rockefeller. There we go. Okay. You have Russell Simmons. Yeah. And what he did with Rick Rubin and, and mm-hmm. Def Jam. You have these things. So it's kind of like this evolution. So then you go from them to then Rick Rubin and, and Russell Simmons and these people creating labels that become these iconic hip-hop imprints. Def Jam, of course, being right. like one significant. And then you have yeah. a Jay-Z and, and Dame and Biggs do Rockefeller yeah. and... After trying to get deals, as everybody knows, yeah. and nobody would give them a deal. So they yeah. said, well, fuck it, we'll do our own. And then yeah. they do with Kevin Lyles and all them. They, and Lior, they do a joint venture. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And they're 50-50 partners. And yep. that was considered crazy, like a joint venture at that mm-hmm. time. So that's when you kind of started to see it change, like mm-hmm. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Because now you had more advocates who came before them mm-hmm. who were in certain positions to give them game and empower them and provide access and opportunity to where you didn't always have to go to the white boys or the establishment or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have people who actually have done it before you now yeah. and people in positions to let you advance it. Yeah. The problem now and what we what we would see and what Jay-Z talks about on 444 is like... I love that album, by the way. Jay-Z, I just... I, just, I love that album. I don't think he'll ever listen to this podcast, but I love that album. I'm saying, you never know. <laughs> And what Love makes and what makes the Nipsey's and all them so important is yeah. like, so then it became a place where hip hop started generating so much money yeah. and was so global and so big that the narrative around it mm-hmm. changed in terms of from the business, right? Mm-hmm. Where you saw what Steve Stout and then we're doing, right, getting hip-hop into advertising. You right. saw, like, Tanning Absolutely. of America and all of that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allowing them to, to get these deals now with big corporations mm-hmm. to, like, launch their own brands, launch their own sneakers, do all of that. Yeah. From there, and, and have residuals and ownership and just expand into, like, the lifestyle space and what Puff was able to do, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying, and building Bad Boy and all of that, right? Yeah. So you have all these examples, but then it's like, who after them seeing this took it the next step like who are the people that saw it after that at the point where they because mm-hmm. jay-z what they did created a space for hip-hop to be worth as much as it they was they certainly did and they're kind of like at the forefront right yeah and again it goes back to the original mentality is what mm-hmm. if you come in get as much money as you can yep so yes. if, if they've raised the stakes like to what you can make yeah instead of them saying oh well we got to take it a step further we should be thinking about what nipsey talks about right we should be vertically integrated we should think about how do we turn this into real estate and Mm -hmm. buy these neighborhoods or buy the fashion houses and buy the warehouses Mm -hmm. and do our own thing Mm -hmm. and invest our own money and build our own invest in the community your own community invest in your your communities backyard it became wow, there's so many more ways to get so much more money now. And you're just trying to get as much paper as you can. And people haven't really taken it forward. That's why he could still say, like, yo, y'all still signing deals for real? Like, you know, after all they done stole for real? It's like, you haven't really really seen that. Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper is completely independent. Right? Or do I have that wrong? I don't know his business dealings, <laughs> but he's he's always been somebody who's represented independence. Yes. But to the the whole point of this is that culturally, whether Chance is independent or not, there have not been teachers right. who have lived it 
outside of Hove and a Nipsey and maybe a few other people as rappers, like as right. artists, as artists who've actually given the culture, the game, and the knowledge and mm. the perspective to be smarter and yeah. and move smarter and be the owners and yeah. like be the you know the people who aren't getting leverage you know what i'm saying like yeah. you're either leveraging or getting leverage mm. and and knowing what your influence is worth mm-hmm. in their relationship to that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you didn't have people teaching them so even if chance is independent how many times is chance actually teaching younger independent artists through his music or yeah. through what he's saying or where he's at how many young people is he telling coming yeah. in the game don't do that do this right you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You just don't see that. So you it's kind of like it. Nipsey's passing is devastating because so he devastating. was one of the only mm-hmm. people who lived it, mm-hmm. teached it, was unselfish with the information yeah. and had a real blueprint that would have really changed the whole dynamic of being independent or being, you know, an owner in yeah. the game. And he's so young, 33. 33. It's like he's become a martyr because the, the reality is you're right. There aren't people like him. And that's why, like, and here's the Mm-mm. thing. I'm not, I am not a person. I mean, I, I'm an R&B diva. Anybody who knows me knows oh, I love my R&B music. <laughs> but I respect and I appreciate hip-hop culture. And I'm a part of hip-hop culture. Um, but I am not as, hence why I brought you here. I'm not as knowledgeable about hip-hop culture as like. And and here's the thing. Here's the biggest mistake people make when they mm-hmm. say hip-hop culture. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop culture as a term robs the fact that hip-hop has become so ingrained in the world Mm -hmm. to the point where hip-hop is culture. It's not even about the music. Right. You're right. It's literally what we talk about, what we think, what we we wear, what our energy is. It's who we are. Like, I look at, when I look at me, because we we have a lot of conversations about entrepreneurship and working in-house and Mm -hmm. uh, working in corporations and the influence of hip-hop music on corporate and how it influences consumers, you know, across racial uh, lines and just hip-hop. You're right, hip-hop is culture. And you're right, I need to talk about the music in particular. Like, I'm not well-versed on hip-hop music in particular or the history of hip-hop, but I am well-versed in the culture because I exude that. That Mm -hmm. is who I am as a person. It's like the music was the vehicle that got it there. Right, right. And now we're here. And now we're here. Yeah. But, you know, it it is eaten in... Exactly. So even though I'm not well versed on like hip hop music per se, I understood the impact of a Nipsey hustle. And so I actually, and we hear about a lot of deaths every day. People are dying and it's in the news yeah, and the headlines. Yeah. And it's a very horrible thing. But when Nipsey, when I saw on my feed that Nipsey passed away, I shed tears. Yeah. And I didn't even understand why. I was shedding tears. Mm -hmm. I understood what he meant to us. I understood the, what he preached. I believed in what he preached. Did I know all the lyrics to his songs? No, but I had a affinity for him as a person who was driving my culture as a black woman in America. And I literally shed actual tears. And I cannot recall a time other than Michael Jackson and Prince I cried both with them too right. when they died because yeah. they were very influential in my life as right, a music artist. I mean, they are like legendary. I, when I got the news and I was very surprised by the tears that I shed because mm-hmm. I didn't follow him 
like everything he did, every move he made, every but but, but I understood the bigger picture of what he was preaching and I understood the importance of him to our culture. And I think it's a huge very, devastation very yeah. that we we lost him and and, and to it's your point. ジェイジーアイラブライクディスイングリンジスオフォーフォーティフォーアンドクロックアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンドアンド
everybody who is a fan of hip hop, who's a fan of the culture, is now forced to view the culture through a lens of more respect, more appreciation, Mm -hmm. and really like you see it as not just this game or this industry or this space that's just all about how much money you can make, like we said, and whatever, whatever. You see it as no, this is literally a tool to design the way the world thinks and how they approach things and what they do and while we're engineering the way the world works we as the voices of that and the people at the forefront of that also could be smarter and use that to make our communities better and solve our problems Mm -hmm. and you know what i'm saying if we don't like the way our communities are treated like he did with his life like we can do it we can you know what I'm saying? So, like, it was literally the representation of reverse engineering mm. hip-hop culture from where the people at the forefront of it went from talent mm-hmm. to owners. Right. Went from voices to the engineers and the architects. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's ultimately the the shift in the in the kind of thing that he represented in in jay-z that's one of those things where like jay-z when jay-z says he's the mike jordan of mike recording it's so literal because michael jordan made the nba prime time mm-hmm. and jay-z made rap prime time mm-hmm. in terms of like where he took it and being the first and yeah. and everything he was able to accomplish and people still don't get it man they still don't get it. Like, it's not meant for everybody is... to get, and that's the thing we gotta understand and realize, right? Because yeah. just like when I think about this new generation of rappers, and I respect anybody's craft. I respect all creative crafts. I'm a dancer. FYI, followers, I used to be a dancer for 25 years, professional oh, ballet, wow. modern jazz, tap hip hop, uh, everything flex. I did. Play. A light rose flex. A little light rose flex. <laughs> so I have a true appreciation for creativity, for the arts. Mm-hmm. Music is the arts. I don't care if it's rap, hip hop, country. That little Nas guy, Billy Cyrus. Oh my yeah, God, that song! I I Old can't. Town <laughs> I love that song. I was listening to it uh, yesterday on the, on the drive back from DC. I love that song. Love that song. But I appreciate the arts and, um, you know, this new generation of rappers that is born out of the social media streaming platform world. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a great respect for their hustle, right? I have a great respect for their hustle. I have a great respect for their creativity. I have a great respect for um, the fact that they are capitalizing um, off of a uh, culture that they grew up in and that they're being true to themselves. I also have a great respect for the fact that they're utilizing these these technology platforms to kind of elevate their profiles and get their music out there and whatever have you. But I see so much immaturity in it. And I hate to say that because I want to appreciate their artistic vision. I do. And I do appreciate it and I respect it. But as I mentioned earlier, when I see a Kodak Black uh, disrespect a woman who lost her soulmate uh, a week ago. Uh, first it, of first of all, that video and this may sound crazy. Yeah. I watched the video. It was disrespectful. Yeah, but it wasn't as bad as the headlines that people. It made wasn't it. as bad as the headlines, but it's just like, uh. It, it, yeah. But I, I do. Do we trust the generation with 
the vision that a Nipsey or a Jay Z or a Nas or a Fab or but this but this is with. the point. Jay Z's almost fifty years old. I know. Nipsey was thirty three, which is young, so young, which is young. But you can watch videos of Nipsey at twenty three, yeah, talking about these things. J Cole had the line where he says about Kodak J. Cole, Black, another I wish. favorite. But on Middle Child, where he says before this whole Kodak Black mm-hmm. thing happened, he said on Middle Child, like I wish Kodak Black had more guidance for real. Yes. Now, this is important because it's exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You okay? When Nipsey said Tupac of my generation, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that wasn't sensationalized at all. And when you look at what Tupac was saying with his platform to yes. people, right? Tupac. About empowering women and you needed to do. Now, Tupac did a lot of wild shit. Yeah. But when it came to what he was trying to teach people, yeah. we don't have. You can say what you want about these young SoundCloud rappers and Lil Pump or whatever. And again, this goes into the template of how they got people in this industry to begin with. Mm-hmm. You're 17 years old. Mm-hmm. You were just making music while you smoked <laughs> weed in a basement. True. You put a song on YouTube. The song goes crazy. All of a sudden, people are calling your phone. Literally, two days ago, you was smoking weed, like, not with enough money to buy a sandwich, sleeping in your mom's basement, making music in the closet. Mm-hmm. And now every major label is trying to say, I'll give you $100 million. I'll give you da 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 Next thing you know, they give you money, and now you're a rap star, and your name's everywhere, and it happens really fast, and now you are being, again, expected to, Mm. what, accelerate your maturity in that period of time? And we don't have, again, people who are actively trying to teach them. That's why they say, like Nipsey said in our interview, he was like, yo, in the hood, man, like, we got to change the expectation. Because when I was coming up, there used to be OGs that taught you the game. Right. Like, people you could come to them and they would tell you, like, yo, man, that ain't what you should do. Like, yo, you don't do this. Don't do that. Culturally, you would think, again, who... Is taking the responsibility to say, we're going to take these young people and teach them. Why is there not a hip-hop union? That's a good question. And that's going to be my question is how do we move forward to teach them? Because I will say the last song on J. Cole's album, first of all, K.O.D., another album I absolutely love. Yeah. I actually listen to K.O.D. to this very day when I'm in the gym. I just, I just be working out, just listening to it. And the last one, I don't know what little offended him. So many littles. What are, what's the little one that... Who? I don't know. The one no that's... Pump. Is it pump? And he had a whole song dedicated to him, and it was just like schooling him. And then he, and then he said, um, and Lil Pump got a song right now called "Everybody Want to Be Like Me." And one line is like, "Cause I make a million dollars, but I can't read" or something like that. This is, but he didn't even take J Cole's like song to heart because J J Cole was like actually spitting knowledge to him through this song. Like he could, he could have like completely just slandered his name and like came for him and made it a really crazy diss track against Lil Pump. But J. Cole, what I respect about J. Cole and why I love J. Cole, I love J. Cole, is that he took that moment to try to educate this young man through music and, and clearly it went over Lil Pump's head, but I love the song, so it's one of my favorite songs on this album. But right. to your point, who needs to take the torch in this? Because you're right. These kids are being fast-tracked into stardom. They're still coming from whatever environments they came from, and and there's somebody really teaching them the game. I was at South, 
South by Southwest, as right. we both were. Yeah. And I was in a panel about hip hop and somebody actually talked about this. They talked about the fact that there's nobody mentoring these kids. Nope. When they come into this game, you have the label, you have the managers, but nobody's really teaching these kids how to be responsible with the power that they have, with the money that they have, and how to see the bigger picture. So what is what is the path forward to, to make sure that we don't lose the but, richness of our culture and this new generation of kids who is so operating in this immaturity? First of all, the new appropriation is acquisition. Mm-hmm. So all these major companies are trying to put culture in a box that they can buy or right. a bubble that they can buy. Mm-hmm. And the way that you do that is you have to get everybody to feel the dependency to enter the bubble right. that you're going to buy. Right. And record advances are predatory loans. Right. Same way we do a payday loan or whatever. There are good <laughs> A&Rs and managers, mm-hmm. I want to say that straight up and down, yeah. that love their artists, that care about their artists, that are OGs in the game. Mm-hmm. But if the overall, the way the industry's set up now is labels need to make money and hit their goals and make their bottom lines. So you have certain A&Rs that spend all day on the internet preying on who's that next YouTube kid we can dangle a million dollars over and make our bottom line this fiscal year. Mm. Who's the artist who looks so stupid that we could bring him in here and we could just put the veil over his head? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really predatory in that respect, too. So a lot of times what looks so good to be true, like they say, like what looks like it's just dangling and it's the greatest opportunity of life. should raise all the red flags because these people literally are just looking at it as dollars and cents. Like we got to be in business. Like we're in business to make money. Like we got to stay in business. So when it comes to who the onus is on, we also have to first say like, who tricked us into believing that it wasn't ours? Right. Like who tricked us as the culture into believing that we don't already own it? Right. To the place of, like, knowing that, like 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 they say, like, knowing the value, like, knowing the worth, knowing these things. Because there's still that uh, aura of, like, we still need permission and we still have to get access to this and sign off of this. And we still have to be accepted in this way or we have to play this game or do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Even when you have the jay-z's and all the ogs telling you like no like i'm trying to show you how i i'm trying to get you the blueprint literally of like how i did it and how i'm doing it and what we should be thinking about it's still like disregarded in that respect Mm -hmm. so i think the onus is on artists who know better and do better Mm -hmm. again too is like not even just mentorship you see the outpour for nipsey right and no yeah. diss to anybody. Mm-hmm. But every artist who encountered him, who knew how real he was, who loved his music, who knew what he represented, everybody's paying tribute to him. Yeah. How many artists really championed him while he was alive? Right. When he when he had Victory Lap and it got nominated for a Grammy, mm-hmm. how many people stood behind him and mm-hmm. said, How many people stood behind him and said, we pass 
the torch to him. Right. We would put the future in Nipsey's hands. When mm. Kendrick was on fire, they did how, that. How many artists? No, no, no. Kendrick had the show at the box where Dr. Dre and Snoop and all them were like, he's the new West Coast. They like yeah. handed him the range, which yeah. is huge. It was huge. But who in hip hop, when Kendrick was on top of everything, really said, we bow out to him and we acknowledge that we champion him. Not I taking see. pictures to look like y'all cool and friends. I see the Not difference. to show up to the show and be like, yeah, we know Kendrick is dope. Not to try to collab or whatever. Yeah. To humbly and honestly say, we think all of y'all need to respect and protect and stand behind. We say this Snoop Dogg, though. Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg did. Snoop Dogg does that? Yeah. He does that consistently. He like, he's very consistent in that because he's just passing the torch, you know, mm-hmm. and Dr. Dre. And you're right with that. But you're right because there wasn't, it's sad to say is that when Nip was alive, it wasn't that. I mean, I feel like there were people really championing. Kendrick and maybe it was Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I follow both of them, so I'm always like, oh, whatever they're like on, I'm on, right. you know, from a West Coast perspective. But, um, I mean, you're right. I, you have a, a really great perspective on this, and I do worry about the, the, the future of our culture right now because I think we do need more people, and hopefully Nipsey's passing will be a lesson that we do need more of our OGs kind of reaching down and, and pulling these young people up and kind of showing them the game so that we can create more Nipsies and more yeah. of these people of the world. Because the thing is, is that I do worry about kind of where we are. I worry people about... are confused. They're Cause very confused. confused. Yeah, yeah. They're very confused. And when you lose a Nipsey and you understand what he represented, it, it hits so hard. Yes. And it's a wake-up call that we need to get more people on his who are on his page to a, a, a platform that will inspire others and maybe help change some hearts and some minds of some of these young kids who are coming up. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was very offended by Kodak Black's. Um, no, it was offensive. Yeah, because if I were Lauren London and he's like, she's a widow now, making light of the fact that I lost my soulmate. Screw the screw the platform. Screw the music. Screw the businesses that you own. Screw everything you preach. That's somebody's love of their life. Yes. And at the humanity level of it all, he disrespected her as a human being in a yes. way like the most in psychology the most traumatic experience you can have as a human is the loss of a loved one of a spouse excuse me of a spouse that is the number one most traumatic experience a human being will ever go through and this young man with all of his whatever just dehumanized her in a way that i have never actually experienced in my lifetime as a 34, 34 year old adult however i think you make a really valid point in the fact that there should be some type of hip-hop union. There does need to be a way to educate and inspire young people to want more than just how much money can I get quickly, how many Instagram likes can I get, and how many plays can I get streamed, how many streams can I get on Spotify. That's why B said, um, fuck Spotify. Like, you know, she got title. I love it. But my thing is, is um, you're right in, in, every, in every regard of this conversation, and I, I do, you know, my 154 listeners, I encourage you guys and I challenge right. you guys to, and wherever your network lies within hip hop culture, the hip hop community in particular, that we push for better mentorship, unionizing, and making sure that this next generation does not completely have infrastructure. diminish our life. Having yeah. an infrastructure because we work so hard, 
the, for the past, what, three, de- well, what year is this, 2019, three decades, three and a half decades of hip-hop, they've worked very, very hard. A lot of lives have been lost in the hip-hop world, and a lot of people have worked so hard to make sure that hip-hop culture represents black culture. Mm-hmm. And that we don't lose the essence of who we are as people and that we're always striving to achieve more. And I don't want to lose that. And what I'm seeing is next. So, Julian, mm-hmm. I thank you for that thought about a union mm-hmm. and the mentorship and the guidance that our OGs seem to be giving, despite how, you know, young our new Gs yeah, are. There's, so, there's <laughs> so many layers to that. So many layers to that, man. It's like... The, again, the sense of ownership mm-hmm. in terms of as a collective of people who are at the forefront of it, who are OGs in it, mm-hmm. coming together yeah, and saying, we're not going to let these things happen. Like, yeah. we're going to take control of this and, yeah. and do it. You haven't seen that. You haven't seen, um, you know, people willing to get out the way mm-hmm. and say, mm. My time has passed. My now time it is time is for the next generation. Yeah. And then you see people like like the Puffs and Jays and Dr. Dre's like on the Forbes list and everything. And people think the only way you can be that impactful is if you're close to a billion dollars. And that's a lie. Mm-mm. Like that's a that's a confused way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other paths to get to that other than like mm-hmm. selling yourself to everywhere. Um and and lastly too, like one thing Nipsey stood for was distribution. He always knew that the wealth is in the distribution, mm-hmm. and you know we don't own the distribution companies right. and the big publishing companies. Yeah. And like I look at labels like QC, like what Pierre and um, Coach K have done with QC, and QC is Migos, yeah. you know, Lil Yachty, Lil Baby, mm-hmm. of City Girls, everybody. I like Lil Baby, <laughs> and they're huge. But you would think like at Cardi. As as big Cardi. as they are, um, why don't they own the building? Mm. Like, why isn't there a QC building that's as big as Warner Music somewhere in Atlanta? Mm. Or, or it's like that kind of thinking in terms of like you don't just own the biggest label culturally. You own the building. You own the property. You own you. You like literally own everything around it. Like you're bigger than Universal because mm-hmm. your artists generate more money than all of Universal's artists. Right. right. So I just think there has to be an evolution at this point. Yeah. There has to be um, a next step yeah. as hip hop has grown to be everybody's culture. It's the soul of it is black culture, but now hip hop has become everybody's. It's culture. everybody's culture. So you're right. You know. Well, this was such a dope conversation. I learned a lot. Just wanted to know, so I brought the guy who knows everything to Just Wants to Know. Nah, I yes. hope it was helpful. Yeah, appreciate no, this it. This was so dope. Thank you so much, Julian. This Thank was such you. a very uh, beneficial conversation. I hope some of you people out there, my my 154 listeners, can take this and and go into your communities, into your jobs, and and really try to influence based on this conversation. Um, Julian, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the Thank time. Thank you. I yes. appreciate it. And I'll be at the TED Talk. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the Maryland, April 27th. Yay! So exciting. Um, Yes, I'll definitely be there. Um, Following your Broccoli Con presentation. Yes. For facts. For facts. Yes. (laughs) 
Putting something in the water on the 28th, Virginia Beach. Oh, my gosh. This is a busy guy right here, people. All right. We got got a world to change. A world to change. High five. Yes. High five. Love it. All right, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day, rest of your weekend, rest of your week, wherever you are in your life cycle. Yes. Again, thank you so much for tuning in Just Wants to Know, and I will catch you next time. Peace.